Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So let's pray together. Father, we are trusting you to be with us this morning, to comfort us, to care for us, to help us. We thank you that you are a good and loving God who never leaves us or forsakes us. So Lord, be with me now as I preach. Be with us as the word is proclaimed. Give us ears that are able to hear, hearts that are willing to obey. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout the rest of Goodwill Church, last week, a new series was started in the life of Joseph. Uh, Pastor Jay was here, and he preached out of the Gospel of John. I'm not going to be preaching out of Joseph today. Um, I'm going to be preaching Psalm 23. Next week, I'll preach somewhat of a farewell sermon, um, which will not be Joseph. Really, what I'm saying is, Goodwill Beacon will not be getting the Joseph series that the rest of Goodwill is getting, uh, but it's a really good series, and so I encourage you as you have time to head over to goodwillchurch.org and listen to John or Tim or Jose as they preach through those chapters in Genesis about the life of Joseph and the way that he points us towards Jesus Christ. Here we're in our own season of transition, and so the sermons will be focused around that reality. Psalm 23 Uh, If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn there. If you don't, there's a pew Bible in front of you, and you can turn to the text there. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I was working on the Joseph sermon before the news of Thursday, and when I got that news, I realized there's no way I can preach uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife today. That would have been uh, rough. Um, so I started praying, Lord, what, what do I preach after an announcement like this? And he turned my attention to this familiar psalm that many of us have heard. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've heard this when you hear it in TV shows, you hear it read often at funerals. And it is a psalm that for generations people have found comfort in. And so that's where we turn. We turn here together because this is a hard day for us to receive comfort from the Lord. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He comforts us in our sadness, in our affliction, in times of trial. And so we turn to Psalm 23, which begins, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I hope this is working. There it is. As we begin, I want to consider exactly what a shepherd does. Because I think 
something that happens with Psalm 23 is it becomes so familiar to us that we lose sight what it's actually saying and the heartbeat of why it actually brings so much comfort. The Lord is my shepherd is how it begins. Now, a shepherd was kind of on the lowest rung of society at the time that this was written by David. David himself had been a shepherd because it was the job that none of his brothers wanted to do. And so he got stuck out in the field with the sheep. Shepherds were often unclean and unable to come in and worship because they were dealing with often dead animals, which disqualified you from being able to worship. And God does something miraculous with the shepherd. What he does is he takes this shepherd boy from the fields and he calls him to be the king that is after his own heart. And from this period on, the idea of a shepherd transforms in Jewish thought. Yes, there are still literal shepherds that are on the bottom rung of society, but the king was also commanded to be a shepherd. We see this explicitly in David's own call to be the king of Israel. He's called in 2 Samuel chapter 5. When he's called long before that, he's anointed king in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And here's the command in verse 2. In times past, these are the people speaking. When Saul was king over us, it was you who led us and brought, uh, let, who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, this is God speaking to David, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and shall be prince over Israel. Shepherds are kings. That's how a king was supposed to see himself. Not as a ruler, but as a servant, as a shepherd to care for the sheep. And, and that's what a shepherd does. The shepherd protects the sheep provides for the sheep, rescues the sheep. He rules over the sheep effectively as a king. They go where he tells them, and he does so lovingly, caringly, often because the shepherd wasn't shepherding his own sheep. He was shepherding somebody else's sheep. And the kings of Israel were to recognize that these were not their people. This was God's people, and they were to shepherd in God's stead. That is what a king did. He ruled on behalf of God, not ruling over the people with an iron fist, but out of love for the people of God. This is why when you go to the prophets, one of the indictments against the kings is that they are abusing their power as shepherds. If you go to Ezekiel 34, for example, Ezekiel's complaint against the kings of Judah is that they are devouring the sheep. They are shepherds who are using the sheep for their own good. They're, they're abusing the people. And he gives a blistering indictment in chapter 34. And he says that this ought not be so, that the, the shepherds are not to fatten themselves on the backs of the sheep, but they are supposed to be feeding the sheep, caring for the sheep, doing the job of a shepherd as king. And he lays out a blistering indictment. But he doesn't end at the indictment. Here's what Ezekiel says in chapter 34. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I'm against those kings, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. I'm going to cut off these kings. That's what the exile was all about. No longer shall the shepherds feed them. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. 
And then look what he does next. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he, is, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountain of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God says, I'll be the king. You kings have devoured the sheep. You have destroyed my people. I'm stepping in. I will be the king. Which is why when Jesus is here, in John 10, what does he call himself? I am the good shepherd, he says. I'm the king. And I'm a good king. And this is the same king that David, who was king, was looking to and saying, you're actually the king. I'm a placeholder. You're the king. You're the shepherd. You rule. And Psalm 23 is an analysis of what it means for God to be the shepherd of his people. It is a meditation of David's heart where he sees what it means to be under the shepherding of Almighty God himself. The Lord is my shepherd, and because that is true, I shall not want, I will lack for nothing. Because God is a good God and he is the shepherd of our souls. He will give all that we need. I I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. What's interesting about this is David is from the south of Israel. He's from Bethlehem. That's why it's called the city of David. And if you go to Israel, and I encourage you, there's a trip happening in March. Think about it, pray about it, see if you can get there. Both my wife and I have been. It's an amazing trip. One of the first things you learn is that the promised land was described in a particular way, the land of milk and honey. You may have heard that before. Israel, the promised land was the land of milk and honey. And the land of milk and honey is actually a description of the land itself. It's not just some strange prophecy out there in the sky. Israel is split between really two different climates and way of doing life. In the north, up in Galilee, where Jesus does a lot of his ministry, it's beautiful up there. It's green, tons of trees, lots of dates. You can get some bees up there. It is the land of honey. Down south, you get more desert and maybe some grasslands. You're not growing trees. You're not getting honey. You survive on livestock. You survive on goats and sheep, and you have a lot of shepherds down there, and they're feeding, and they're doing their thing, and what are they doing? They're providing milk and meat and hides. It's the land of milk, the land of milk and honey. And David, he grows up in the land of milk. It's rough down there. It's, it's, it's remarkable. You take a drive while you're in Israel on this trip that we do with Dr. Whitman, where you go from the north to the south in a day, And you just watch it change. 
that changes like that. It's, it's a little jarring. Seeing this beautiful, this beautiful greenery and then it's brown. It reminded me of being back home in Arizona and just brown desert. And you get down there and you realize this land of milk is a harder life. It's tough down there. You've got to do some work with these animals. But look at what the promise is. He makes me lie down. I'm a sheep. He's my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, those don't exist in the South. These green pastures, if you did manage to stumble on one and you're a sheep, you're not lying down. You're eating as much as humanly possible or sheeply possible, I guess. You're eating. You're not being led beside still waters. There are no still waters. That's where the Dead Sea is for crying out loud. This is a vision of glory where the sheep enter into glory because of the shepherd who gives them, even among the desert, he gives them green pastures to rest in. He leads them beside still waters. He restores their soul. And why is this good news? It's good news because God is the one leading. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this is where David actually is. He's not writing this from a place of green pastures. This isn't David on a hill somewhere playing a harp, having a great day. This is David walking through the valley of the shadow of death, reciting to himself, I know who my Lord is. He is my shepherd. And what he does is he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He causes me to rest as if I'm in green pastures and by still waters. He restores my soul even now in the valley of the shadow of death. That's what he does for us. And David here gives us an example of what faith is. It is to speak what is true, even when it doesn't feel like it's true. When we're in the valley of the shadow of death, David, he's there and he says, but I know what is right. I know what is true. I know that my eyes deceive me right now because this hurts. I'm in pain. I don't understand what's going on, but I know that my God is my shepherd. And I shall not want, even now, even in this, even in this time of trial and tribulation. There's something else about this psalm that strikes me. Shepherds were kings. This is why, if you remember a few weeks ago when I talked about the, the heart of the pastor, I laid out the pastor as a servant rather than a shepherd. I'm not a king. I serve in the house as Moses served in the house. And Jesus rules over the house as the master of the house. The shepherd, the king, he oversaw a whole people. And when you think about countries with kings, you have King Charles over in England. Not a lot of the subjects, the royal subjects, have a personal relationship with King Charles. That's by design. Uh, you don't go and hang out with Charles on a Thursday night and catch the Thursday night football game. That's not a thing you do in England. He's separate. He's apart. He's our king, but you would never say, oh, yeah, that's my buddy. That's my king. That's, that's good old Charlie. It's not what you would do. Look at what David says here. Not, Lord, you are shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. 
It's mine. This is personal. It's not just that he's the king over all of his people. He's my king. He knows me. I know him. He is my shepherd over my life. I have emphasized over and over and over again in my time here in Beacon that we are a people first. We are a kingdom first. And any relationship we have with God individually is due to the fact that we are a part of the covenant community. But that doesn't mean we don't have a personal relationship. It means that we have a profound personal relationship with the king of the universe. The Lord is my shepherd. And David recites all these truths of what it is for God to be shepherd, and then the language changes. You can see it on the screen. In verse 3, he says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Third person. Look what happens in verse 4. Then he gets to his situation where he's actually at, and the language changes because he heads into prayer himself. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. No longer he, now you. Now it's you and me. I know who you are as king over your people. And I take comfort in what you do for us, I take comfort in that great final rest that I can even taste today in the middle of this valley. But now I need to talk to you because I'm in this valley. And I will not fear being in this valley because you are with me. You're with me. He's personal, He's present. And this continues today by the power of his Holy Spirit. He's with us. That's the joy of Pentecost. That's why Pentecost needs to be included in all of the Easter celebrations. Because when Jesus ascends, the Spirit, his Spirit, comes down and and he indwells the church. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and he forgives you of his sins, he fills you with the Spirit in that moment. And he never leaves. He's always there. So that no matter what you walk through, no matter what trial you face, no matter what pain you go through, no matter what we're feeling right now this morning, the Holy Spirit is with us. He will not, will not make us go through this on our own. He promises that he is with us and that his rod and his staff, they are a comfort to him. And something gets lost in translation here. Because when we think of comfort, when I think of comfort, I think of what my afternoon might actually look like today uh, in some sort of pajamas, in a recliner, with week one of the NFL on, better believe it, just resting. Maybe a blanket, we'll see, it's kind of warm, probably no blanket. That's comfort. Or you think of comfort food, something that just makes you feel good. That's not what David's getting at here. Your rod and your staff, that's a, what a shepherd's rod and staff did is it, it rescued the sheep. It kept them safe. And he's saying, that's a comfort to me, and that keeps me going. That comfort gives me courage. In fact, one commentator says this word should just be translated, they give me courage. They comfort me so deeply that I have the courage to keep going through this valley because your rod and your staff are there protecting me the whole time. 
And it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And it doesn't mean I'm not confused. It just means that I can trust that you're there. And you will bring me through it to the other side. Because that's what is on the other side. That's the victory. The victory on the other side is you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Look at this. The blessing of God poured out on David. The, the abundance, this wine cup overflowing in the presence of the enemies. The enemies defeated and David can feast. We read this as Christians realizing that there is a, a prophetic nature to this as well that points to that final feast where all the enemies of God and God's people will have been laid waste. All the sin, all the injustice, all the brokenness either wiped away or restored. And we will feast with Christ, the wedding supper of the Lamb. We, we feast with Christ. And our cup overflows. And we are anointed by the Spirit. We are together for eternity. And that is a profound comfort as we prepare to part ways in these coming months. This keeps us going. Because we're going to be apart for a little while. It's going to feel like a long time. It's going to be years. But years in light of eternity will be a blip. And we will feast together in glory with Christ, our Savior, our Shepherd. We will all be together, you, me, and everyone who has ever known the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That victory was won for us through the cross. Where all the enemies of God, particularly the worst enemies, sin and the evil one, were destroyed. He died for our sins. He rose again for our salvation. We have victory in his resurrection, not in anything we've done, because he declared the victory in his death and resurrection. He reigns as the ascended one, and one day will return to bring us all home. That's the hope of the gospel that keeps us going, no matter what pain we're about to face in the coming weeks and months. We will be together forever, provided we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. We have an eternal perspective. The psalmist concludes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy, the very nature of God, shall follow me all the days of my life. This word follow evokes something like a tracker in the woods. You ever watch those movies where some, there, there's a chase happening, and the bad guy's gotten away, and somebody apparently has just spent his whole life living in the woods and knows how to read the ground and can track where they're going? And you say, we can follow him, we can get there. I know where he's going. And they never show us how they know. They just expect the audience will just go with it. And we do. We go with it because it's fun, because it's a movie. That's what it means to follow, is to pursue. The goodness and the mercy of God is right there, every step of the way, pursuing us, making sure that we never get away from it. There is no valley so deep and so dark that we can somehow outrace the goodness and mercy of Christ. 
is following right behind every day of our lives, no matter what we face. And we face dark, dark days sometimes. The goodness and mercy of Christ is right there because he is our shepherd. And after those days of life are done, we find ourselves right back where the psalmist began. The Lord as shepherd, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he says. And that's true for all of us. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what a king does, a good king. He pursues us. He binds us up. He strengthens us. He helps us through the difficult days. We can celebrate because of what he has done for us in Christ. And he will bring us home again. The Lord is our shepherd. In the end, it does not matter who your pastor is if your pastor points you to the shepherd. I am a good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my sheep and they know me. And my job as a servant in the house is to keep reminding you that the shepherd is the one you're here for. You're not here for a pastor. You're here for him. And you're here for him together. Because while we individually have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he has bound us together in one baptism by one spirit with one God and Father over all because of the one perfect sacrifice of the one perfect Christ. He has bound you together to pursue him together and there will be another servant in the house to help you pursue the shepherd. But his job will be to point you to Jesus. That's all we do. Pastors are one big flashing arrow pointing you to Jesus. He is our shepherd. And so... I am able to leave Goodwill Beacon in a couple weeks with profound confidence that you're going to be okay. Not because of Goodwill. Not because of Jay. Although, I think Goodwill and Jay are going to do well for you. I can leave with confidence that you're going to do well because the Lord is your shepherd. And you shall not want. You shall not want. I love you all very much. And this is a grief for me and for our family. Knowing that we're saying goodbye to you hurts because we love you. But this is our comfort. This is where we turn. To the shepherd who guides us, who loves us, who carries us through this particular valley and will return us to our rest, and we will be in that rest for eternity, forever, together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that whatever love I feel for the people of Goodwill Church Beacon is so far eclipsed by the love that you have for them. I thank you that 
as I leave this position, you will continue shepherding your people because you are good, because you know them by name. You know your sheep by name. Nobody here is small in your eyes. You love them all. You are a good king who guides his people through this valley into victory and one day into glory. And so God, I pray that you would be with all of us, be with me and my family, be with Goodwill Church, shepherd us, lead us, comfort us, give us courage to continue on. And I pray that you would bind this body together so tightly that as servants come in and serve and move on and the next servant comes in and serves and moves on over and over and over again, that this body would grow and deepen and strengthen because you are the shepherd and we are the servants. I thank you for the privilege of having served this community. And I thank you for the confidence that we can all stand in. You are our shepherd. We shall not want. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.